Welcome, welcome, welcome to Above Replacement Radio. I am your host, Chris Gianta. I might be becoming a bad baseball fan who can't enjoy the romantic things because of advanced statistics. 15 years from now, I want to be on the early baseball committee. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Kern. I literally have the fan graphs hoodie, the baseball reference t-shirt, just repping some stats, you know what I'm saying? It's not necessarily Hall of Fame. It's not necessarily above average, but we can guarantee you we are better than just the standard replacement level college sophomore. And welcome to Above Replacement Radio. We're talking baseball kind of whenever. I'm your host, Chris Gianta. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, I'm doing very well today. Uh, we've had, we have two weeks left in the regular season now, and uh, the playoff race looks as good as ever. The, the NL wildcard especially obviously looks awesome. Uh, there's there's going to be a lot of standings talk on this show for the next two weeks, and I'm very excited for it because this is a race with this much depth that we really haven't seen in a while. Yeah, on on really all sides of the spectrum. I mean, there's so many so many races that just haven't reached uh, anywhere near a conclusion. Uh, AL East, AL West, uh, and then the AL Wild Card and NL Wild Card are all you know completely up in the air. So it's, yeah, it's, it's really nice to see. I think, you know, last year we had the situation where by game 162, everything was set in stone. So, you know, the the likelihood that we have that resolved by game 162 is uh, unlikely at this point. Yeah, Um, It seems unlikely. All, I mean, all it takes is for, you know, two games of separation, which is not a crazy amount, but it looks like down the stretch, there's going to be a lot of fun uh, with standings watching and, uh, you know, we'll get into some teams that have been kind of struggling their way out of that race uh, or maybe even back into that race today. But we got some uh, some breaking news this morning. I'll just I'll just get into it. The Tampa Bay Rays, um, who have been on a 16 year search for a new stadium, have finally uh, signed an agreement uh, where they will have a new 30,000 seat stadium in St. Petersburg, Florida. Um, it looks a lot nicer than Tropicana Field. It's a dome stadium that has like. I mean, this might not be the best idea for Florida, but it has a glass roof, it looks like. Um, and it's going to be a lot prettier, no doubt. But, uh, Chris, what were your initial thoughts on this? Um, I, I didn't really know what to what to think of this. Uh, what I think what struck me first, first of all, was it's St. Petersburg and mm-hmm. not and not Tampa Bay or somewhere that's, you know, very close to tampa bay unfortunately and i know that was an issue that's an an issue an issue that's been talked about is the fact that saint petersburg is like an hour away from uh from tampa bay so it takes away from that attraction for you know people from the city uh so you know that kind of you know struck me a little bit um and i can't i can't fully buy into the plan like in the article that I read on the Tampa Bay times, it, you know, it said that team officials were saying like, you know, this should, uh, this should increase attendance and increase revenue and increase, you know, player payroll. And like, I'm not completely sold that it's going to increase attendance necessarily considering the location, you know, I guess it's downtown Petersburg. So, or downtown St. Petersburg. So maybe it's going to be more popular within that area, but, um, but yeah, I'm not completely, sold on it at least you know i i guess at least there won't be catwalks or anything and it'll be more aesthetically pleasing but as far as uh people attending 
I think I, I'm not sure. I'm not sold on the effect of of this stadium. Yeah, I mean, I think the the number one takeaway to have with this is that this doesn't fix the problem, but it makes it seem a lot smaller because the issue, you know, as people have known with Tampa Bay and St. Petersburg is that not only is St. Petersburg an hour away from Tampa, but there's one bridge that connects the two cities. So even if you're trying to get from Tampa Bay to St. Petersburg, it's not super accessible because, uh, you know, like I said, there's not a lot of routes to go. And I'm sure that bridge is probably clogged with traffic at every single moment of every day um, because, you know, it's like the two are separated by a large body of water. So it's not easy to get from one to the other. So it's, you know, it's not like there's like, and there's, I'm sure maybe there's like a ferry or something, but still that's kind of a ridiculous mode of transportation if you're going to a baseball game. Um, you know, with, as far as attendance goes, I think this will, again, like look, make the problem look a lot smaller because the capacity of Tropicana Field is 42,000 seats and the capacity of this new place is 30,000 seats. So when you have, you know, an average attendance of 15,000 fans per game, it looks a lot better when there's, you know, it's 15,000 out of 30,000 instead of 15,000 divided by 42,000. So this the stadium will look a lot more full. It'll look like there's more people coming to see the team because there's less empty seats, but in reality there's just less seats in general. So, you know, I don't think, you know, I think attendance percentage will skyrocket, but attendance overall uh, in total volume is not going to look as good. Or it's right. going to look the it, same rather. Yeah, it might be half full as opposed to a third full, but you know, mm-hmm. same same, you know, same total number of people going and spending on tickets and maybe maybe the maybe the ticket prices will be more expensive because it's it is a new stadium. So there is that. Like. Yeah. Um that yeah, that'll most likely happen. Um as far as like just you know from a player's perspective, it'll probably be good from a player's perspective. I imagine it won't have all the weird nuts and bolts of Tropicana field, like the catwalk, obviously, and the, you know, white roof <laughs> that really just yeah. throws everybody off and that nobody enjoys. Um, so, I mean, I guess that will be, you know, that'll be a plus, uh, the love, you know, the quality of baseball played in that stadium will be slightly better because there won't be that, you know, those weird nooks and crannies of that, of that stadium. So that'll be nice. But, um, but yeah, I mean, if they really, if they want more attendance and for the Tampa Bay Rays, I'm not sure what the, you know, what the geographical planning of it is and the, you know, the funding of it is, but it would be best to do it in Tampa Bay. It just seems like there is no possibility of doing that for, for whatever reason. Yeah. I mean, I know that there have been ballpark proposals in Tampa um, that I guess just got shot down or whatever, but yeah, I mean, the the, the problem's still going to be there, right? I mean, the Rays still aren't going to have very good attendance. Um, and even then, like, when the team is good, you're only limiting it to 30,000 seats for, like, a playoff game or something. Like, that's not going to be helpful uh, come those times. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I guess it is a plus to be getting out of Tropicana Field. Like, I think that's the one positive way of really looking at this that's kind of indisputable is they're going to be moving into a nicer place. Uh, Just generally speaking, like, you know, it'll be more uh, aesthetically pleasing to watch a game or a raise home game rather. But, you know, ultimately, you know, I think this is covering up the problem by making it less bad. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
yeah, it doesn't seem like it'll be much change, but I guess, you know, just optimistically speaking, just in general, I know there was something that like Brett Phillips talked about with, with, with what, like, you know, people as generations go by, there should be more and more Rays fans because, you know, less there's, you know, people, our parents age didn't grow up with the Rays and even Mm -hmm. younger than that didn't grow up with the Rays. Uh, And now there are kids and now adults who have grown up with the Rays. So maybe, you know, that sort of comes into fruition and and rises attendance because people who grew up around St. Petersburg probably, you know, have, have rooted for the Rays for a while and are old enough to buy their own tickets. So, I mean, there is that whole, you know, progression there, but that's really the only hope you really have for attendance growing. That seems like it's, I mean, I don't know if there's numbers to back that up. I'm sure there are somewhere, but you know, just going off a feel like that's not a definitive way of saying that, Hey, this will become better. Um, And yeah, I mean, it it probably doesn't seem like they're too optimistic about that. If they're only uh, implementing a 30,000 seat stadium. Yeah, exactly. Like them and you know them, the A's are going to have the the lowest, uh, you know the lowest capacity stadiums in Major League Baseball because of it. Yeah, Which, exactly. I mean, you know, there's good reason for the A's not to be optimistic about attendance in Las Vegas, obviously. Um, right. And the Rays clearly probably don't feel that either if they're only maxing out at thirty thousand a game. Yeah. And looking at that as a success. Yeah. Very very understandable. Um. I mean, anything more on the topic before we get into some of these teams? Uh, no, I mean, not really. I mean, I, you know, well, the the stadium will open in 2028. So, you know, four more years of Tropicana Field after after the 2023 season wraps up, uh, which is, you know, you could say is a positive way of looking at things. Um, I am very excited to never have to watch a game there ever again, if that if that means anything. But uh no, I still can't. I still can't look at this and think, you know, this is a great situation for the Rays. They're finally, you know, fixing the big problem because they're not like we're still going to be talking about how the Rays have bad attendance because, you know, fans from Tampa have are like don't have an easy way to access the Rays. Yeah, 100 percent, 100 percent. And yeah, it is sort of depressing to watch t- uh, games at Tropicana Field. It just doesn't really feel like a baseball game. Uh, especially like a, a a weekday day game just it just doesn't feel right over there but um hopefully it just feels a little bit better just wa- even just watching on tv at this you know new stadium but uh but yeah i know i know they are op- potentially opening in 2028 because there was a 30 year lease um with tropicana field from 1998 to, to 2027 so it's wrapping up and then we got a new one we got a yeah. new one going so that is uh that's fun but uh but yeah away from the rays who just wrapped up a four game series against the orioles in which they split they are now two games out of the They're al east two games out i guess yep um two games out of the al east a team that has uh sort of has technically fallen out of the playoff picture they are one game out of that third wild card spot in the american league and we were very very high on this team they were trending fantastically and until they weren't um they've had a rough september uh specifically since september 3rd they have lost 10 out of 14 for a 4 and 10 record tied for the worst record in major league baseball uh in this span and yeah i mean it is 
they their their playoff odds have gone from uh, about 90% to 53% uh before the span to in the span and their division their odds to win the division have gone from 44% to 15% uh before and after this span so yeah what are you thinking about what this Mariners team has has done yeah the Seattle Mariners who have you know i mean i think chris it's pretty clear what the issue is the clubhouse just is not happy that they traded their closer at the trade deadline. They traded, uh, you know, they traded Paul Seawall. They traded uh, AJ Pollock. I mean, like, it's pretty clear that, you know, the Mariners selling at the trade deadline has ultimately been the reason for this, this collapse here in September. Yeah. And they, they didn't find out until September 3rd. And Mm -hmm. that's why, that's why they've, they've, they forgot. They're like, they were like, yeah, I, you know, I think that Seawald guy, he's on like a, you know, maternity leave or something. But yeah, they found uh, out he got traded and then they were like, what? Well, we have to lose now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it makes sense when you look at it because their bullpen has actually been the biggest issue uh, in this span. The bullpen has a 487 ERA and a 575 FIP. Uh, and ultimately, they have been uh, below replacement overall as a unit at minus 0.2 F4. Uh, the only reliever that has really been doing well for them in this span is friend of the program, Matt Brash, who, you know, shout out to him, seven and two thirds innings pitched, uh, 11.74 strikeouts per nine, no runs allowed. You know, he's been fantastic. But I mean, they've given seven innings to Dominic Leone, who's given up 6.43 home runs per nine in this span. Uh, Justin Topa has thrown eight and a third innings pitched and has given up multiple home runs. Uh, and also has a 4.32 ERA. Uh, Taylor Saucedo, he's only thrown three and a third innings, but he has an 8.810 ERA. Gabe Spire has thrown four and a third with an 8.31 ERA. Um, Andres Munoz hasn't been himself. You know, he's pitched six innings and he has a 4.50 ERA. They've given time to Luke Weaver in the bullpen. He has a 6.75 ERA now, and I believe he's not even on the team anymore. I'm pretty sure he just started a game for the Yankees, actually. But uh, yeah, I mean a lot of the innings in the bullpen have gone to guys that have just simply not been effective, whether it be they're walking a lot of guys, they're just simply giving up a lot of home runs. They're giving up hard contact home runs specifically. Uh, it's just been, it's just been bad all across the board. Yeah. Which is, yeah, it's, it's extremely unusual from a Mariners perspective. I think basically since for the last three years, we've been hyping up the Mariners bullpen is one of the best and mm-hmm. for good reason. They've been just ERA wise, FIP wise, one of the best bullpens in the game uh, since like the start of 2021 or like since the second half started in 2021, somewhere around there, they just started dominating. Um, But yeah, they have the, uh, or at least in the last 14 games, the Mariners have the third worst bullpen FIP in baseball, um, which yeah, it's, it's extremely unusual Uh, and something you don't want for like you, 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 think you can rely on that bullpen but i guess just they've they've just they're just undergoing a slump just all at the same time but you know i, I don't think it's something either of us are especially concerned about like it just seems very abrupt and weird that this is happening and doesn't seem like a long-term trend um as far as other aspects of their team their offense hasn't been the best it hasn't been you know worse than baseball by any stretch but uh, in their last 14 games, the Mariners offense has the sixth lowest on base percentage, ninth lowest slugging and seventh worst OPS uh, looking individually there. Uh, JP Crawford is hitting 200 with a 617 OPS in the span. Uh, Teoscar Hernandez, who is really hot, uh, who is really hot before this, 
Uh, he is hitting 236 with a 604 OPS in this 14 game span. Uh, Eugenio Suarez is hitting 184 with a 649 OPS. And uh, Ty France, he is hitting decently like for, for contact, but in 52 plate appearances, he has one extra base hit and zero home runs, which leads to a uh, slugging percentage below 300 in the span. So, you know, their bullpen has not been performing great, but um, their offense, which is usually like part of the fault of why they don't succeed when they don't succeed, uh, that has also, you know, taken a bit of a, it, it's had a bit of a cooling off because they were doing well, but um, they've had a bit of a cool off in the last couple weeks. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest issue throughout the years with the Mariners recently has been the offense. And obviously during the span where they were winning a lot of games, they were playing, I think kind of over their head and maybe they've regressed to the mean. I think they've probably regressed a little below the mean because they have a 94 weighted runs created plus uh, in the month of September. And, you know, this offense isn't necessarily world beaters at best, but uh, you know, I think they're at least an average team, but Julio Rodriguez has kind of just been carrying the entire offense. I mean, he's had an excellent month of September. He's been one of the best uh, position players throughout the month. And, you know, the rest of the team just really hasn't followed through on that because, you know, Julio is only one guy out of nine that can hit in the order. Um, but no one else has really followed his lead. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is. You know, we, we mentioned the offensive struggles and yeah, that has been uh, none to the fault of Julio Rodriguez, who has kept that hot streak going. Um, been one of the best players uh, since like the start of August, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Or maybe maybe the best player in baseball uh, since then. So. With the Mariners outlooking what they got, I, I know they have, they uh they are a game yeah they are, um two and a half back of, the Astros in the division, and they are a game back of I believe the Blue Jays in, the uh in the wild card, uh they, their schedule like you know you could look at it two ways, you could look at it as a way that they're going to. You know, the, it's it's a way that they can leapfrog the Rangers. They have seven games against the Rangers. Um, so this it could be big for them. They could potentially do sort of what the Rangers did to the Blue Jays and, you know, leapfrog them on their own and take matters into their own hands and, and take over that, that spot that the Rangers once had. Um, or, you know, if they if they split those, you know, if they find a way to sort of split those games with Texas may, it might leave them in the same spot. And if they, you know, lose that, if they lose those series to Texas, uh, it puts them even further away. So, I mean, seven games against Texas is going to be, I mean, that's going to be huge. Those are going to be like the biggest games to watch when those happen. Yeah. I mean, the, the, they have three in Oakland coming up. Um, you know, they have three in Oakland coming up uh, this week. And that's kind of, you know, those are kind of the trap games for the rest of the season because, you know, it's the team that should be the easiest to beat. But after this, they have three in Texas, three at home against the Astros, and then four at home against the Rangers. Uh, All of those games are must win because they're only two and a half games out of the division too. Like, you know, getting to the playoffs is obviously what you need to do, but, you know, Ultimately, you got to go for the division uh, if you can, and they can. So, because, you know, the Twins uh, aren't, you know, the greatest team in the world. But if the Mariners win the division, they're very likely getting that first round bye in the playoffs. You know, the 
you know, they're only two and a half games behind the Astros. Like I mentioned, the Twins are probably like four or five games behind the Astros. So realistically speaking, winning the division means getting that first round by and automatically going to the ALDS um, and then facing the winner of, I would believe it would be the the three ver- or the three versus six series, which would be the Twins or whoever is the six seed. Might be the Astros, might be the Rangers, might be the Blue Jays. Right. Yeah. It And yeah, I think you say it perfectly by saying like that, that West winner is pretty much an automatic two seed and an automatic, you know, a series win. You know, you don't have to play that first round of the playoffs, which yeah, exactly, which is which is huge. Um, So, yeah, like there there's a lot of incentive to win that AL West and not have to face either the Rays, Orioles or Twins. Um in that first round of the playoffs likely you know potentially on the road also or yeah very very much most likely on the road as opposed to playing a home series against you know one of those potential teams so yeah i mean there's there's a lot of incentive to 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 go for that division but as i said uh before the or yeah a little before we got into this the mariners do have uh only a 15 percent chance of winning that division according to fan graphs right now but those odds change as uh, results change. So if they keep winning or if they get, if they get back on their winning ways, that could definitely change. Um, yeah. Do I you mean, think, uh, do you think this, do you think the series against the A's is a must sweep? Um, That is a, I think that it has is a good to be, question. Right? Like I know that even if you lose one, you know, you could still go six and one against the Astros and Rangers and look pretty comfortable. But I mean, you know, those are going to be, you know, those are going to be 10 really tough games uh to end out the year you want to put yourself in the best position possible going into them um yeah i mean yeah obviously you want to win every game um the only thing that's making me hesitate on the must sweep thing is i'm you know i'm looking at these you know strength of schedule markers and the blue jays actually have the third hardest strength of schedule remaining uh Mm -hmm. because they have six against tampa who are going to be competing you know they're going to be trying to win because they want to win that division and then they got six against the Yankees who, you know, they're not are looking better. They're, they're looking better. They're, they're not a gimme team. You know, they're, they're not, they're not a, a typical fourth or fifth place team in, yeah. in, a, in a division. They, you know, and also they've been doing well over the past week or so. I week. believe they're 14 for the last 20. Yeah. So like that is not that those aren't gimme series. They got six against the race, six against the Yankees um, and probably probably a split like they're probably playing the same amount of home games as they are away games uh if they're if those series are so close together so um so yeah i mean like the the toronto does not have any gimme series left the the mariners seem seem to have that with the a's um but but yeah it would like yeah you you want to take advantage of that from a from a mariners perspective um, because who do the rangers have besides uh oh the rangers have the red Sox coming in today which is you know i mean they're on a downward spiral but they are i wouldn't call them a gimme team because uh you know they are slightly below 500 but a team that can play spoiler they've got Um, the they've got the angels okay well that's the series they should win uh the astros have uh, the oh they have the orioles coming in today that's not a gimme by any means this weekend the astros have uh, who do they have? They have the Royals coming in. That's a gimme. But they did just lose two out of three to the Royals in Kansas City. So, you know, who knows? And then obviously 
Uh, the Rangers have, like you mentioned, the Angels. Uh, they're going to Anaheim. And then for the last weekend of the year, the you know Rangers and Mariners are going to play each other. The Astros will have the Diamondbacks. So, they, I mean, the Astros really only have one gimme series left. But, you know, as we saw this weekend, you know, anything's possible. Yeah, right, right, right. And, um, I mean, the Mariners do have a tough schedule remaining. But, um, you know, just based on these, uh, based just based on winning winning percentage this year, not necessarily uh, consider considering team trends and whatnot. Out of the Blue Jays, you know, out of the Blue Jays, Astros, Rangers, and Mariners, the Mariners actually have the easiest schedule remaining out of those four teams. Um, mm-hmm. But it's not by much. It's it's not a crazy amount. They don't they don't have you know outside of the A's series, they don't really have um, any easy series going forward. Um, but you know they're they're better off than the than the Blue Jays. They're slightly better off than the Rangers, and you know much of much of what will be determined about this playoff picture could happen with that with these two Mariners uh, Rangers series coming up. Um, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's that's what I, that's what I got on the Mariners so far. Any anything more before we get into another team? Uh, no. I mean that's they have a really exciting end of the season, no doubt. And uh, yep. we're just going to have to see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Hopefully for them, they get that bullpen back in check, that offense back in check for uh, for these last, what will it be, 13 games, I think? Yeah. Yeah, sounds good. Um, right. so, so, yeah, uh, another team that was riding hot and seemed like kind of a shoe-in to get in the playoffs based on how they were trending and now are not looking uh, like those world beaters are the Chicago Cubs who have lost eight of their last 10. They've also lost five in a row and have now fallen to a spot where I think they're only a half game up on the next team out of the playoffs. Um, and it's looking a little bit scary over there on the North side. What have you, what have you been thinking about the Cubs? Yeah. Not only are they half game up on the first team, not in the playoffs, but they're actually tied with the Miami Marlins for that third wild card spot and half a game behind the Arizona diamondbacks for the second wild card spot. And the diamondbacks just came in and handled business against the Cubs. Give them credit. They won six out of the seven games uh, that they played, you know, throughout the, uh, the two weekends in a row or the, however long it was between those two series. But you know, the Diamondbacks came in and handled their business against the Cubs, did what they needed to do. Uh, and it's now kind of, yeah, it's leaving the Cubs in a situation where uh, they're going to have to fight more than it looked like they had to a week and a half ago. Yeah, absolutely. Like their playoff odds have cut in half, according to fan graphs, uh, before this 10 game stretch and, and after this uh, 10 game stretch, they were a, at a 92% chance to make the playoffs uh, about two weeks ago and or even just a week and a half ago and also 33% chance to win the division and now they have a 46% chance to make the playoffs and uh, a 1% chance to win the division that's kind of out of out of sight out of mind they just want to make the playoffs at this point uh, and yeah it's been it's been rough like and and those are those were two important series against the Arizona Diamondbacks where you know, they had a chance to, you know, increase their lead on the Diamondbacks and, and you know, they're competing against with with the Cubs. They're competing against like 
four other teams right now and and the giants the diamondbacks i got a spam caller uh the giants the diamondbacks the reds and the marlins like they're competing against pretty much all those teams and so to lose six out of seven to the diamondbacks is a really it's a real detriment to them and and you know really messes them up in the standings a little bit yeah so kind of just looking at uh Going forward, I know you had some numbers on the Cubs, Chris, but they have yeah. a very crucial week ahead of them because um, they have their home against the Pirates for three and then home against the Rockies for three, which, you know, they did just lose two out of three to the Rockies at Coors. But I mean, we know the Rockies generally tend to be a different team on the road. So that's something that the Cubs could take advantage of. But after that, you know, they have two non-contending teams coming to Wrigley. But after that, they go to Atlanta for three, and then they go to Milwaukee for three to finish out the season. Those are two division-winning teams. Uh, you know, the Brewers, very likely the Braves have obviously already clinched, but, uh, you know, they can only hope that the Braves are in, you know, post-clinch the number one seed mode at that point. They probably won't be um, because the Dodgers just swept this weekend. So, you know, they're still in there. Um, and the Brewers, you know, they they will likely have clinched the NL Central by then. But still, you know, that's, that's a team that's going to want to win if it means eliminating the Cubs from the playoffs potentially. So, you know, they have some games coming up where they really need to they really need to get hot at the right time. Yeah, for sure. And what they want to do is is get better on offense, because that has been a large part of their problem um, in their last 10 games, which has caused them to lose eight of those games. Uh, which, by the way, is tied for the worst record in baseball in the span. Um, in their last 10 games, they have the lowest runs per game in the span. And they also it's it's not necessarily a matter of them not getting on base. It's when they do get on base, they don't really execute. Uh, the Cubs have the lowest slugging percentage with runners on base in their last 10 games. Uh, their two home runs with runners on base are tied for the fewest, and their two doubles are also the fewest um and you know it's it's weird to identify to this detail to this detail but i think this is part of why they aren't scoring runs so they've hit eight home runs in the last 10 games which is a little bit below average but those eight overall home runs in their last 10 games have only driven in 10 runs which is 1.25 runs per home run and i was looking before the show and i think the average home run drives in like 1.6 runs uh, so all in all, like when runners are on base, they're not really, you know, executing, they're not coming through, uh, with those, you know, big splashes, like the, the doubles that drive in the, the runner from first or the three run home run. They haven't had a single three run home run or grand slam in the span. Uh, everything has been either solo or two run shot and they only have two, 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 two run home runs. They have eight, they have, uh, six solo home runs. So they're not necessarily it's a lot of a matter of timing which seems a little bit more fixable than if they were striking out a bunch or popping the ball up a bunch or grounding out a bunch um it just seems like a matter of timing so they gotta they gotta really come through in the big moments in the next two weeks yeah no they definitely do so i want to look more into this nl wild card uh and kind of what's coming up for every team so there are really five teams that are in line uh, for those final two spots it's the diamondbacks the cubs uh the marlins the reds and the san francisco giants and then the Padres are six games out but let's not talk about them right now because 
you know, I mean, it's it would take a lot for them to even be in the picture. So the Cubs yeah. remaining schedule I already talked about. It's the Pirates coming into Wrigley, the Rockies coming into Wrigley, and they go on the road to Atlanta and uh, Milwaukee. Uh, Miami, who is tied with the Cubs, they have uh, they have an interesting schedule. They just swept the Braves. Not only did they sweep the Braves, but they demolished them. They won nine to six, eleven to five, and then sixteen to two. Which you know, I know it's the cl- the post clinch Braves, but you got to understand how much the Braves just have perpetually owned the Marlins for the last like five years, like, and like in the span where they've been, you know, a perennial world series contender uh, to sweep that Braves team at home. It means something. Uh, and they have yeah. the Mets coming in this week for three and then they have the Brewers coming in for three, which, you know, say what you want about the Mets, but they're a team that's perfectly capable of playing spoiler. The Brewers will obviously be competitive in those games because they'll be going to clinch. Uh, and they also just took three out of four from the Marlins in Milwaukee recently. And then they head, then they go to New York for three, and then they finish out the season in Pittsburgh for three. Um, the Diamondbacks, who are you know currently in a playoff spot, they have two against the Giants uh, at home. And they uh, go on the road to face the Yankees. They go on the road to face the White Sox. And they finish out, as I mentioned, at home against the Astros. So, you know, only only one real gimme series there with the White Sox going into Chicago. Uh, and then some competitive teams, two of which will be in the playoffs. Uh, the San Francisco Giants that I mentioned earlier, uh, they will be obviously going to Arizona for two. Uh, and then they go to L.A. for four to face the Dodgers. And they host the Padres for three, and then they face the Dodgers for three. So the Giants probably have the toughest schedule. You know, I wouldn't call any of those teams a gimme. And then the last team that I have to mention here is the Cincinnati Reds that are half a game behind both the Cubs and the Marlins. They host the Twins for three starting today. They host the Pirates for three this weekend, and they go on the road to Cleveland to face the Guardians in two games, and they go on the road to face the Cardinals for three. Uh, out of those schedules, Chris, which team do you want? would you want to be the most going forward? Um, so according to, according to the winning percentage numbers that uh, Tankathon has going for me, the Reds among these teams has the easiest strength of schedule, which I would believe the Guardians um, are, or the Twins are the best team. But after that, it's the Guardians. Yeah, I like that. That just seems that just seems like log and logically even even if you took uh win, winning percentage away from it and just told me those you know four teams like you just did, uh I would just I would just go with that. Like St. Louis and Pittsburgh, they are not really competing. The Twins are pretty comfortable in their spot and don't have too much to compete for. So I think, you know, they'll still try to win, but they're not, you know, they'll, they'll give some guys some days off most likely that need them uh, probably won't extend their starting pitchers too much. Uh, and then the guardians are, are also not really competing for much of a spot. Whereas yeah, the diamondbacks, like they have, they have some teams that have some, you know, have some things to play for like the Astros and the giants and even the Yankees haven't been, haven't been bad over time um i would at least like i would at least want to be the uh the giants because the giants have the second hardest strength of schedule remaining um in baseball at not even among these teams in of all 30 teams in baseball giants have the second hardest strength of schedule remaining mostly because they face the dodgers you know seven times so yeah uh so yeah i most want to be the reds um so yeah the that's why you know, going back to the Cubs, that's why this next week is is crucial for them to win a lot of games because mm-hmm. they got the Rockies and Pirates coming up, so they want to you know take advantage of that as much as they can. 
I think the thing that worries me the most about the Reds is not the teams that they have coming in, but the players they have uh, right now on the field. If you look at their rotation, right now it's Andrew Abbott, Hunter Green, Brandon Williamson, and Ben Lively. They don't even really have a fifth starter, and they haven't even announced a starting pitcher for today's game. Uh, you know, that's not a situation that you want to be in going into the playoffs because Graham Ashcraft just had season-ending surgery, I believe. Uh, Nicola Dolo will not be coming back this year, most likely. Um, you know, they just there's a lot of concerning things uh, going on with this team, the, specifically in the rotation. Um, and, you know, I don't know how much I love that in a playoff series, especially because Hunter Green has also been struggling lately, and that's, you know, kind of the one name that really pops out. Uh, and, you know, because of that, it really they're going to rely a lot on Andrew Abbott going forward, who, you know, I'm not going to, you know, no disrespect to him. But like, you know, he is a rookie and there are naturally going to be questions about how capable he is of leading a rotation. Yeah, for sure. No, that's a complete correct uh, thing. I think the only counter to to that is the Reds just in general have made zero sense all year. Yes. So yeah. like, why? Why is it going to, you know, why? Or is it going to stay that way in the playoffs? Like, I, I don't know how they win games. I, I don't know who mm-hmm. any of these guys are. Uh, I don't know what they do. I don't know. I don't even know. Like, well, I don't know what's going on with this team. I don't know how they've, yeah. how they've been able to do it. So, I mean, it, it just keeps going on that way. I feel like, I feel like that's been the, the Rays MO for, for some time. At least they've had some more organization to their wins, but like, when when the Rays won 100 games, it was like they had like two starters. Like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, I don't know what the Reds are doing, but they <laughs> but they win for some reason, and I don't know. I, you know, in in the instance where they take the sixth seed and they have to face the Brewers, like, yeah, I'm obviously probably going to take the Brewers, but yeah, you know, but, they, yeah. they, but but why? But how might, come? But how come they win. find? But how come they find a way to win Game Three when it's Freddie Peralta versus Brandon Williamson? Yeah, they'll they could. Something, like how, some, how they do some that? weird stuff will happen. I don't know. Like the, the winner go home game three. Going back to Hunter Green real quick. Over his last five starts since coming off the IL, he has a 608 ERA and a 601 FIP. Um, like that's kind of the one, you know, guy that they feel like they could, that you feel like they should be able to depend on. Um, but you know, I don't think you can really say that. Um, Andrew Abbott's continued to be fine. Uh, you know, going back to. Uh, his last few starts, he overall this year has a three six eight ERA, a four eleven FIP, which isn't great, but like you know that is, um, you know all that stuff kind of goes out the window in the playoffs. I mean, you can use it to forecast what you think will happen. Um, but I will say he hasn't been as fantastic recently because uh, over his last uh eight starts, he is a five ninety seven ERA and a four forty eight FIP. And uh, who's this again? Uh, Andrew Abbott. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, right now, there just isn't really a one starting pitcher that the Reds can depend on, um, which, you know, I think that will hinder them going, like, trying to get to the playoffs. But at the very least, you know, we have the the um, the easiness of being able to say, well, they have not a lot of great teams going forward. The only good team really they have is the Twins coming in for three this week. Yeah, I, I really, yeah, I, I, I like what they have ahead of them, you know, from their perspective. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, that rotation will probably, 
the lack of pieces there will probably have more emphasis, you know, when the playoffs come around for sure, because of, you know, they're, they're going to be facing the best guys. So they want the best guys out there and their guys aren't necessarily the best guys. Um, yeah, but in terms of getting there, I do like their schedule. Um, I think I like the Cubs talent a little bit more. I don't really like anything with the, as far as the giants go, whether it be schedule mm-hmm. or talent or position in the standings. Cause they're already two games out of a, of a playoff spot. And then the Marlins. Yeah. I don't know The Marlins are similar to the reds and that they just kind of find ways uh, in whatever way they can. Um, yeah. Anything. Yeah, more I, would, I the... really hope, I really hope we get some, some like playoff vibes in Miami this week. Side note this weekend, this weekend, because in the like Lone Depot Park era, this is probably the best Marlins team that we've seen, or and the definitely the most important games that we've seen, because like I know twenty twenty they made the playoffs, but that didn't count. Like let's let's be honest here, um, yeah. they went they finished under five hundred and made and finished second in a bad division. Um, so I really hope we see a lot of fans in Miami this weekend and we hear, especially because like they have the, like I said, the, I know they only just beat the, uh, the post clinch Braves and that series probably didn't mean a lot for Atlanta, but that's going to give the Marlins some momentum going forward. You know, jazz Chisholm has been the face of that franchise for a while and he's looked really good over the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, if he can really stand out and be the face of the franchise that he has to be this week, like, that's gonna that's gonna be huge for this team because like I said, you know, they just lost Sandy Alcantara, they just lost Jorge Soler, but they still they look really good still, and it doesn't make any sense, but that that is how they look. Yeah, they and it seems like they have enough just supplemental rotation pieces that are just working for them. Uh like Yuri Perez, you know, Braxton Garrett, uh Jesus Lazardo probably most notably there mm-hmm. um along with even like I think is Edward Cabrera still starting games for them right he now is still he's starting tonight yeah so you have that going for you and yeah I mean the deadline acquisitions have looked pretty good with Josh Bell and Jake Berger like the Jake Berger edition has played a great factor for them he's been a, a great spark plug spark plug for their offense um yeah they 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 have more they have the some aisle. momentum riding riding with them so that's pretty nice. Uh, anything more on the wild card uh, race here? Real quick, Jorge, it looks like Jorge Soler is off the IL uh, that he played that's yesterday. Fun. So that's big. That's big for them. That's uh, you know, he's a guy that has mashed lefties specifically this year. So uh, if there's a lefty on the mound, you know, Jorge Soler is probably going to do some damage. Yeah, it'll be it'll be fun to keep uh keep eyes on everything going forward and i hope it doesn't just end in yeah. Jorge whichever Soler team Jorge Soler came off the il yesterday and went two for three with i just with hope this walk. doesn't end in uh two two game sweeps in the oh god that in the wild suck. card round yeah like all the all this drama and not none of these teams succeed it's just the phillies and the brewers yep <laughs> just moving on um <laughs> so yeah that uh anything more on the wild card race i think that's kind of it all right well now we will get into uh the part we've most prepared for which is our players to highlight starting with starting with the good uh and that's where we will start with our monday september 18 2023 edition of how about that 
He's striking out less, walking more, and he's also making better contact. Turning into a strikeout machine just out of nowhere. He's been excellent all around this year. He is getting a... How about that? So for my how about that, I'm using the same team for the second show in a row. Uh, and I'm talking talking about Jorge Polanco from the Soda Twins. Uh, going back to August 25th, he is, he is slashing 324, 427, 603 for a 1030 OPS and a 182 weighted runs created plus. And he has the most beautiful batted ball profile I've ever seen in this span. Uh, he has an, his ground ball rate since August 25th is just 16%. That is the lowest of the 148 hitters with at least 50 batted balls in his span. And the second lowest is 21%. So he's, his ground ball rate is 5% lower than the next lowest. His line drive rate in this span is 36%. He is tied for the highest line drive or the highest line drive rate uh, in baseball during that same span. And he also has a 40% a fly ball rate, which is tied for the third highest. Uh, so again, the lowest ground ball rate, the highest line drive rate, and the third highest fly ball rate. It really does not get much better than that. Uh, and his average exit velocity on fly balls is 95 miles per hour, which means that he's also hitting his fly balls hard and getting results on them. 20% of his total batted balls have been fly balls with an exit velo of at least 100 miles per hour. That is the highest rate in all of baseball. And also in the span, his 50% sweet spot rate is third highest in the majors. And his 18% his 18% bail rate is the sixth highest. And also throughout this season, he has a 4.9 run value per 100 against changeups on 46 plate appearances, which means that for every 100 changeups he, he sees, he's producing just under five runs, which is a lot. That is tied for the eighth highest among the 326 hitters with at least 25 plate appearances ending against changeups. And also he has a 395 uh, average on changeups, which is the seventh highest. And he also has a 558 slugging and a 417 Woba. So Jorge Polanco has had one of the best batted ball profiles I think that I've ever covered in a how about that. And he's also mashing against changeups as he's been the whole season. Yeah, Jorge Polanco. How about that? Yeah, having, having half your batted balls in the sweet spot zone is always, yeah. always a plus. Always a plus. Um, and he's getting the proper results for it, which is nice. Uh, my how about that? Rarely does this happen. We we highlight a team for negative reasons, but we do a how about that <laughs> on that team. Um, because yeah, we mentioned the Cubs are struggling, but that has not been to the fault of Seiya Suzuki, who has been doing well for over a month now, uh, doing really well. He in his last 36 games is hitting 343 with a 1075 OPS. And out of 168 qualifiers in this span, Suzuki's average ranks sixth, slugging ranks fourth, and OPS ranks fifth. And uh, also, just overall, his F war ranks seventh in this span. Uh, so he's been a top seven player in baseball, according to Fangraphs wins above replacement. Uh, along with that, out of 113 hitters with 500 plus pitches in the span, his expected batting average ranks fifth and expected slugging and expected Woba rank seventh. So he is, uh, his expected numbers are pretty much on par with his actual numbers, his actual results. Uh, Say Suzuki's strikeout rate has gone from 25% before the span to 16% in the span. That is a major difference, uh, which is causing a lot of the 
increases in batting average and uh, other other offensive marks. And uh, part of that has to do with him swinging and missing less. His whiff rate has gone from 23% before the span to 18% in the span. And out of 99 hitters with 250 plus swings in the span, his whiff rate is the 16th lowest. And uh, what was already doing, what he was already doing well, he's continue, can, continuing to do well. His line drive rate is 29% in the span. And out of 68 hitters with 100 plus batted balls in the span, his line drive rate ranks 10th. And his sweet spot rate has gone from 33% before the span to 41% in the span. And out of 68 hitters, his sweet spot rate ranks fifth. Um, so he is, you know, hitting line drives and hitting fly balls at a good rate, and particularly like lower fly balls that get better results and not ones that hang up uh, because it's in that eight to 32 degree launch angle zone. And uh, along with that, Seiya Suzuki's uh, barrel rate has gone from 9% to 13%, and that barrel rate ranks 11th out of 68. So, yeah, Seiya Suzuki has been very consistently for the last uh, month plus uh, just producing very well, uh, getting on base at a good rate, slugging at a good rate, getting good barrels, getting line drives, hitting balls in the sweet spot, just and m- most importantly, making more contact and striking out less. So, um, yeah, just overall... From all fronts, Seiya Suzuki uh, is definitely earning a... How about that? Um, And that shall do it for How About That. And then we will go from the highs to the lows, where we are talking players and subjects that have been underperforming with our Monday, September 18, 2023 edition of Slightly Alarming Statistics. He's been barreling up the ball way less. He's not missing bats. He's not getting the ball on the ground, and people are hitting it in the air more. It's been so bad. He is getting a... Slightly alarming. Yeah, so for my slightly alarming today, I know a lot of people have kind of been talking about this for a while, and I think it's our turn to do so. Uh, I am talking about Ellie De La Cruz, of course, from the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, In the second half of the season, he is slashing 184, 266, 336, excuse me, for a 602 OPS and a 55 weighted runs created plus. Uh, That weighted runs created plus is the second lowest among the 148 qualifiers in this span, which by the way, the the lowest weighted runs created plus is Brenton Doyle at 18, because for whatever reason, the Rockies just keep giving him plate appearances. Uh, And again, he's he's the lowest at 18. Ellie De La Cruz is second lowest at 55. Uh, His 35.7% strikeout rate in the span is the third worst. And also throughout his span, uh, 37.6% of all pitches thrown to Ellie De La Cruz have been in game day zones 13 and 14, which means they are on the uh, lower lower part of not the strike zone uh, at all, inside and outside. So either, you know, it's either low and outside, low and inside, or just below the strike zone. And that's been 37.6% of all total pitches. And uh, that is the 15th highest rate among the 132 hitters with at least 750 total pitches seen. And what that says is that uh, the league has started to figure out how to pitch to Ellie De La Cruz. They understand that he's going to swing a lot at, uh, you know, pitches outside the zone. And he's done that. He's swung at 35% of such pitches. That is 5% above the MLB average. Uh, Throughout the span, 42.2% of his total batted balls have been zero degrees or lower, the 16th highest rate among the 220 hitters with at least 100 batted balls. So, Ellie De La Cruz is chasing a lot. Uh, he's hitting the ball on the ground a lot, which, you know, 
it is good that he has the highest sprint speed in the majors, so he can at least hit pretty well on ground balls. But, you know, when you're hitting the ball on the ground as often as he is, speed is only going to get you so far uh, with general production. And, you know, I talked about Jazz Chisholm really coming to age and being the face of the Marlins and coming through in these next two weeks. Ellie De La Cruz has kind of become the face of the Reds, and it's largely on him to be the guy that steps up in these next two weeks in the Reds' playoff push. Yeah, Ellie De La Cruz. Slightly alarming. Um, yeah, and yeah, when you when you ground the ball like and you're fast, you can you know do a little bit better, but also you you max out at a single. You're not gonna, you know, tip. Usually there isn't a double or triple opportunity from ground balls. It's usually yeah, it's cool. It's cool when you know over the course of two months he hits you know seven more infield singles that that would have been outs. Like it's not gonna do a lot. Right, exactly. Seven seven more total bases. Mm-hmm. Um, my slightly alarming is coming out of it. This is a this is like the maybe the longest sample I've used for a slightly alarming. So the changes I reference aren't gonna be too extreme, but just in general, he's been doing pretty poor for most of the year. And I'm talking about uh Jeff McNeil, who I think uh, yeah, he got an extension before the season started, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. But unfortunately, in his last 119 games, dating back to um, almost the beginning of May, he is hitting 255 with a 655 OPS. And out of 135 qualifiers in this span, Jeff McNeil's slugging and OPS rank seventh lowest. And out of 129 pitchers, out of 129 hitters to see 1,500 plus pitches in the span, Jeff McNeil. Jeff McNeil's expected slugging is fourth lowest and expected Woba is sixth lowest. So he actually ranks worse in the expected categories than the uh, actual number categories. Uh, Overall, from last year to this year, his line drive rate has gone from 30% to 26%. His line drive rates, his line drive rate on fastballs particularly have gone from 30% to 24%. His sweet spot rate has gone from 39% last year to 32% this year. And his pop-up rate, probably most alarmingly, has gone from 6% to 10%. Uh, he has the fifth most pop-ups in baseball this year, Jeff McNeil does. So, you know, not typical, not not what you want from a high batting average guy. Like he's he's been, he's made a career off of hitting line drives and hitting balls in the sweet spot zone to get, you know, those singles and doubles uh, to, you know, get on base and set up runs for the Mets. But he hasn't really done that this year, you know, noted by a 655 OPS in his last 119 games. Um, and yeah, something something just for next year that the Mets uh, hope improves. And yeah, it's just been rough for the last, you know, basically since the start of May for for Jeff McNeil. And he's getting a slightly alarming um so that shall do it for players to highlight and now we will get into a preview of the week ahead where i will be highlighting series to watch daniel will be looking at the day-by-day pitching matchups and as far as series to watch i mean all the anyone that's competing for a playoff spot is you know it's something to watch because they you know it's it's crunch time and those races are really heating up at this point in the year, but to highlight a few certain series, um, we have uh, diamond diamondbacks giants 
which will be happening in Arizona. Diamondbacks have built a little bit of a lead for themselves. The Giants are sort of hanging on to their you know playoff odds by a thread and really need to get these games. So something to watch out for at Chase Field that starts on that starts tomorrow. It starts on Tuesday, I believe. Yeah. Um, along with that, we have the um twins and reds. Twins Reds. I think that's two games. So uh, you know, some, sure something to watch there. And the pre the uh the premier series to watch is the Astros and the Orioles, which uh yeah, the Astros are well, both teams are in very tight races for their division. Both divisions right now are um within two games. So that is a big series that's gonna be at Minute Maid Park, and this potentially, like, this could be a playoff series. This could be a four versus five. This could be an ALCS. Like, who knows? This, this is mm. these are two of the best teams in the American League. Arguably, the 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 two best teams in the American League. Um, although the Rays would have something to say about that, but um, yeah, that's the premier series to watch. I'll definitely have my eyes on it. Um, what do you got for the day by day pitching matchups? Yeah, I mean, the Astros and Orioles is interesting because I think it's a measuring stick for both teams, right? I mean, the Orioles, you know, they might be the number one seed, but they got to face the perennial best team. The Astros haven't been themselves, but we got to see, you know, if there's still a threat in these playoffs. I think tonight's not going to be the greatest because the Orioles are probably going to be using their post-clinch lineup, right? I mean, they just clinched the playoffs yesterday. Um, so who knows what they go with tonight, but they are still fighting for the division, so... They'll probably feel their best team, but, you know, we'll have to see how they're feeling after yesterday. Um, but tonight's, or today rather, you have Cal Quantrill and Brady Singer facing each other in Guardians Royals. That game is the only afternoon game today. It kicks off at 2.10, so I'm sure some sickos will be watching that one, even though there's virtually nothing at stake for either team here. Uh, yeah. Joe Ryan will be facing the Reds for the Twins in Cincinnati. As I mentioned earlier, the Reds have not announced their starter for tonight. Edward Cabrera will be facing the uh, Mets for the Marlins uh, at Lone Depot Park. Um, Zach Wheeler and Kyle Wright will face each other in Phillies Braves. That one is in Atlanta. Uh, Freddie Peralta pitches tonight for the Brewers against the Cardinal Cardinals in St. Louis, where Adam Wainwright will be chasing his 200th career win. It'll be his first shot at it after he won 199 last week. Cutter Crawford and Jordan Montgomery will face each other in Red Sox Rangers at Globe Life Field. Um, Brian Wu will be facing the A's for the Mariners tonight uh, in Oakland. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez and Lance Lynn will be facing each other in Tigers Dodgers. Erod will be facing his uh, his former future team for about, you know, his, they, they were his former future team for about 10 minutes <laughs> before he decided they weren't going to be his future team. Uh, yeah. And matchup of the night does come from Orioles Astros. I'm looking at John Means versus Justin Verlander. Nice um, one. It is yeah. very cool that the Orioles are getting John Means back just in time for this for this uh, division push. Maybe he'll be in their playoff rotation. Uh, yeah. But, you know, we will have to see. Uh, on Tuesday, we have Patrick Sandoval and Taj Bradley facing each other in Angels and Rays. Kenta Maeda will be facing each other, or will be facing uh, the Reds for the Twins. Um, you will have Braxton Garrett pitching for the Marlins against the Mets. Um, Yusei Kikuchi will be facing the Yankees for the Blue Jays in New York. Um, 
Let's see. Nathan Avali will be facing the Red Sox, his former team in Texas for the Rangers. Uh, Hunter Brown will be facing the Orioles for the Astros. Blake Snell will be facing the uh, Rockies for the Padres, looking to potentially uh, wrap up the Cy Young race because Justin Steele had a tough outing in his last time out. Uh, Luis Castillo will be facing the A's for the Mariners. Uh, and Zach Gallon will be facing the Giants for the Diamondbacks. And matchup of the night comes from Phillies Braves. It's Christopher Sanchez versus Spencer Strider. Yeah, it's didn't that matchup uh, happen very recently? It might have. Yeah, I think I it think, did. I think that was a matchup of the night. Like the uh, day that last... I highlighted Christopher Sanchez on How About That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then on Wednesday, uh, Bailey Ober will be facing the Reds for the Twins. Uh, you will have Brian Bayo and John Gray facing each other in Red Sox and Rangers. Lucas Giolito and Zach Greinke facing each other in the Guardians Royals, uh, which means Lucas Giolito will pitch a gem because the Royals do not score for Zach Greinke at all, um, which I've recently learned. Um, George Kirby will be facing the A's for the Mariners in Oakland to wrap up that series. Uh, Merrill Kelly will be facing the Giants for the Diamondbacks. Uh, Aaron Savali will be facing the uh, Angels for the Rays, and Kodai Senga will be facing the Marlins for the Mets. Uh, Kevin Gosman and Michael King will face each other in Blue Jays-Yankees, and Reese Olsen and Bobby Miller will face each other in Tigers and Dodgers. And matchup of the afternoon comes from Phillies Braves. It is Aaron Nola versus Bryce Elder. Yeah, that's uh, grounders and, and some strikeouts as well. Yeah. And some bibbery on the brave side. Yep. <laughs> Be prepared for some ground balls to sneak through, and yep. Probably, and uh, I don't think anything is announced on Thursday. Although I, we could check. I don't know if anything is really announced. Uh, Jose Barrios versus Bar- Garrett Cole is pretty cool. Blue Jays Yankees. That's about it. Yeah, that's that's a fun one. That's yeah. That's a good pitching ninja matchup. Yep. Um. Yeah, so that'll do it for this installment of Above Replacement Radio. We hope you enjoy this one. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and want to watch the conversation as it happens, go to the YouTube channel, subscribe to the YouTube channel, check out all the features, our shorts, our playlists, our uh, guest interviews, with most recently with Chris Cotillo, who before the Bloom firing talked about, you know, sort of the Bloom era and everything that's been happening with the Red Sox organization for, you know, even since 2018 when he started being a beat reporter for them. So check check that one out. Also go to uh, our social medias. Follow me on Twitter at Chris underscore Gianta. Follow Daniel on both Twitter and Instagram at Daniel underscore current and follow the show Instagram at above replacement radio for all the show needs. Uh, we hope you enjoy this one and we hope to see you next time where we will be talking all the happenings in Major League Baseball once again. See you then. This conversation. This conversation is over. Is over.